Welcome back to another episode of the podcast, From the Depths of Darkness to the Light of Success. I am your host, Chris Swick, and on this podcast, we talk about mental health, addictions, ADHD, and really anything anyone's afraid to talk about, we talk about it on the show. I believe everyone's story is valuable at the end of the day. Does not matter what walk of life you come from, you're all welcome on my platform. You can find the show over on YouTube with the same name and hit that subscribe button, turn on the notifications, and you can also find it in audio format over on Spotify, Google, Apple Podcasts, really anywhere you listen to your podcast. And hit me up over on Instagram at Depths of Dark Side for great content about mental health, ADHD, addictions, and just a little inside speak at what I'm doing in my life as well. But with no further ado, I'd love to introduce you to my next guest. I got Brian Jury. He's an amazing man residing now over in Southern California. You want to take it away and let him know a little bit about you, Brian, and what you're all about? Absolutely, Chris. Thanks for having me, man. And like I said, I was really enjoying the episode I was listening to already. So highly encourage your listeners to go check out the other episodes as well. Because what I find about transparent conversations is that people don't have enough of them. And that's why shows this are so important. Because years ago, when I graduated from school, so I was born and raised in New Jersey. I told you my mom was Canadian. So I have enjoys it was what everybody does. Thinks we all talk like this, like going out of shore. It's like, we don't. That's not the majority of the state does not talk like that, Chris. But we get it. That's like being Canadian. People go, oh, don't you know? And you're like, that, okay, that's like Wisconsin. We don't do hey. that. And then they go, hey. And they say, hey, on everything. Yeah. I was like, dude, I went up to Canada every year of my life. The A's in Canada are poetic. They're beautiful. It's a little, it's all, you know, a beautiful day. Eh? It's just subtle and it's nice. And when Americans do it, it's like, oh, don't hey, and it's not that. So similarly, we do not all talk like Polly on the Jersey Shore, but so born and raised in Jersey, went to school in Pennsylvania, I went to Penn State. And I remember that feeling of life is about to start. You're about to graduate and you think real life is about to begin. And <clears throat> People ask me, what was, what's your dream? You're having those graduation conversations. What's ideal for you next step? I'm like, if I could, if I could have my way, big city, warm weather on the coast, lots of diversity. Like I'd studied abroad in Spain. I spoke Spanish at the time. I speak Spanish, but it's like, I, I learned to speak Spanish and I'm like, I want this like really multicultural, beautiful, maybe by the beach. And I graduated with $80,000 in student loan debt. And so I promised my parents, I'm going to find a way to pay for this. So my first job, because what I always tell people, because over the years of coaching and guiding people and mentoring, is you got to have your top three. What are your must-haves? Because there's lots of nice-to-haves, but especially in your early roles, you're less guiding and dictating what you want. You're looking to bring value. I think focusing on the value you can bring is critical. And so I said my top three were... I want to be able to pay my bills and hopefully save a little. I want to have the opportunity to maybe travel in my next role. And then I want to be able to work at a big major company. I thought those three were, were a good hit. And <clears throat> that first job took me to Appleton, Wisconsin. So not a big city, not warm weather, not on the coast, none of those things. And so that journey, though, led me to where I am now, which is such a beautiful thing because what you're doing with your show is having the conversations people are afraid to have. Because I think that's not only where it's our vulnerability is where we create our deepest bonds, but it's also where we feel the most seen and where we're reminded we're not alone. And I graduate school and I think I'm ready to take on the world and I'm starting a job in supply chain. And very quickly, the newness wore off 
and it was just monotony. And you guys, you in Canada know it's like what a real winter looks like. Living in Southern California, it gets below 60 degrees and people are like, oh my God, it's hilarious. And, and I'm adjusting to, I'm acclimating. I'm starting, I'm like, oh, it's a little brisk today. And I'm like, oh, dude, come on. You lived in Wisconsin. You felt minus 52. Come back here. So I reached this point where it was the brutal winters, maybe seeing the sun one day a week. And it felt like weeks or months would go by where you would just come into work, put in your headphones, blink, and the day was over and the sun was going down. And another day had gone by and it didn't feel like there was any purpose or meaning to it. It just felt like you were existing, not living. And so that was where I started. I remember I had this really dark day and my brother knew about it and he sent me this video. And this video, I, it's amazing how a three-minute YouTube video can change your life because it's the right information, the right content, the right person at the right time. And that's really all it takes. And that's why, again, shows like this are so important because maybe someone, we don't know if someone is going to listen to episode 132 today or four years from now. And that's exactly when they need that message. And the longevity of the shows is so critical. So I got to this point where I don't feel any real connections. I'm 24, 23, no, sorry, I'm 22 at the time. And there are people going, I guess this is it. They're settling already. I'm like, guys, there's more to life. They're like, oh, I'd love to live in California. I'm like, why don't you go for it? They're like, it's hard. It's expensive. I'm like, I didn't feel surrounded by like this group that was like, let's go for it. Let's seek out life. Let's make things happen. Let's make an impact. And I have this down day. My brother says, watch this video to turn your day around. And it was Sean Stevenson's dance party. And so I see this guy who has a condition called osteogenesis imperfecta. He's three feet tall in a wheelchair and has brittle bones disorder. And he's dancing to Kesha and telling us life is not meant to be so serious. We need to play. We need to have fun. And it turned my whole day around. I got up and did things and I was like, who is this guy? And that was my beginning of my journey into personal development because turns out he's one of, he was a world-renowned motivational speaker and therapist and coach. And I was like, this clicks. That lit something up inside of me. And I went, I got to start something. So eventually I started my own business and it was called Overcoming Graduation because it was to teach young adults everything I wished I'd known about the real world. And similar to you, I wanted to talk about all the things we were afraid to talk about. I wanted to interview people and break taboos and see the human behind the job title and all of these things. And that was really the beginning of the journey where I went, this is what I'm meant to do. This is how I'm going to find it. But one of my greatest dark moments came early in that journey where I was... So I started a blog. I did a bunch of things till I just start getting into it while I was working full time. Because like I told you in pre-show, I graduated with $80,000 of student loan debt. So I was like, I got to find a way to do this. But so many people said, it's like you're either a corporate drone who's miserable or you're an entrepreneur with all the risk, but you're fulfilled. And I was like, I love better questions because I think better questions give you better answers is how can I do both? And so how can I start to like try this out and experiment? And as I'm working towards these dreams. I'm working towards a better day job. I'm working towards starting a company. That was when my mom got diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And I was and am to this day a total mama's boy. Like I love my mom was one of the best people on the planet. And watching her battle with cancer taught me more about strength and resilience and love and 
when they say love conquers all, it sounds like a cute thing in a rom-com, but when you see someone suffering with more pain than most human beings could ever imagine and still being a mom and taking care of us and loving us, that's, that's to me so much more powerful than just a cute little rom-com. And it was nine and a half months from diagnosis to her passing. And I just remember thinking that life would make there were, I thought there were things when I was younger that would make life make sense or make life perfect. And I thought if I was going to get paid to travel, that was the dream. Because I'd studied abroad in Spain. I spoke Spanish. I worked in international export. I was like, if I get paid to travel, this is the dream. And I accepted the job where I was going to get paid to travel. And in a way, it was so far beyond. I was going to be doing internal consulting, traveling around the world, and traveling nicely too, like business class and nice hotels. And I remember this moment, my first big work trip, because I accepted the job when she was in the hospital. I stepped out of the room and then came back in. And then after she passed, two weeks after she passed was my brother's wedding. And the day after my brother's wedding, I was driving to North Carolina to go start my new job. <laughs> and on my first work trip, I was sitting in a four-star hotel in Kowloon Bay in Hong Kong, overlooking the bay and this beautiful view, sobbing. Because I'm like, what I thought was the ultimate dream, the best thing, I was like, none of this matters without her. And at that point in my life, I was like, I don't know if I'll ever be happy again. So that's a starting block for my story. So I'll pause there because I want, I want to give an opportunity for Let's circle back to you finding out your mother coming down with pancreatic cancer, but your mental health at that, what was it like between that first day and that nine and a half months? Did you find it deteriorating over those, the course of that nine and a half months from start to finish from when she found out till when she passed? Absolutely. And Chris, it wasn't just the nine and a half months. It was like, I was and am, but the eternal optimist. I was the one who always, I would light up the room was my goal. I wanted to come in and bring people up. I'm high energy. I'm going to cheer people on. We'd be down 21 points in basketball growing up. There's three minutes left. I'm like, all we got to do is hit seven threes in a row. And it was like even a ridiculous level of optimism. And with this, we were fighting and I wanted to believe and I wanted to find ways to, guy to bring to the casino. Oh yeah. Hype people up. Yeah. I think I'd be great for the casino in that sense. <laughs> I'm helping the house out. Nah, you can do it. Let it ride. And, and I just found myself, it wasn't just that I was suddenly facing mortality in a way that I never had expected. Cause in college I volunteered with the THON, Penn State THON, which raises money for pediatric cancer research and treatment. And so I had from a third party perspective, seeing families go through this. And now, you know, you never think it's going to be, you never think it's going to be your family. And I slowly was just, as it got worse and worse, because we had this thing at the beginning where it was getting better and the markers were going where we wanted. And then it quickly and rapidly declined, which is often the case with pancreatic cancer. I found myself just, I felt like shell of a person. And it was just getting darker and darker. I had my first ever panic attacks. I had, I went to therapy for the first time. I, cause I had thought when I was younger, I was like, oh, I've got great friends and a great family and I work out. So that's all I need. Oh, I can take care of my mental health. But I reached a point where I couldn't do it on my own and I needed to ask for help. And I'm so glad that I did because God, it's, there's such an idea of there's almost like this pride, I think, that I would have in, I can figure it out myself. Like, I always figure it out. I always find a solution. 
But life gets really lonely and it's so much less fun when we try to do it alone. And a lot of people break in a variety of ways. And I broke at times because I didn't, when my mom told me, it was like my body didn't know how to convey how much pain I was feeling. It was just my happiness and sadness threshold might've been here. And now if this was my sadness, the second I heard that it shot out and it just became something so much darker than I ever thought possible. And the feelings were so much worse. And it wasn't until later that I realized, I'm like, if that's true on that end, it's also true on this end. But in the moment, it was just about surviving. And so I, it got worse and worse. And fortunately, I'd started into personal development because of that Sean video. And I got rolling and I realized, okay, I don't know how to handle this and I don't have the tools. I don't have the ways to manage this. So what I will do though, or what I can do is just do enough to feel good in the moment. And do what it, just do enough. And I'm like, but don't get lost in it. So I'm like, if I want to have cake for dinner, have a piece of cake, but don't have the whole cake. If I want to have a couple beers at night, have a couple beers, but don't become an alcoholic. And so I dissolved into instant gratification because I couldn't, I was terrified to feel the full intensity of the emotion. And so that was eating, that was drinking, that was porn. It was just whatever could temporarily distract me from the fear and the pain. And I will say sometimes I think that's good. Sometimes it is important to have ways to just pause. It's like when you're working out, it's, oh, hey, you're lifting too much and the spotter pulls it off for a second. You take a breath before the next set. It's not always that you have to face it full intensity all the time, but it got darker and darker. And I told people I never got suicidal, but I got the closest I could get with, without getting to that point where after my mom passed, I was like, I don't know if I can ever be happy again. How can life matter without her? How could God take one of the best people on the planet? And so I really found myself at a place where I've heard the quote, it's sometimes everything needs to fall apart for you to, you need to break down the foundation of everything you thought you were to build again and start anew. It's almost like rising, the phoenix rising from the ashes. And those metaphors are beautiful when you say them, but when you're in the moment and you're in your darkest moment, it doesn't feel good. But I did take comfort in knowing I'm like, there is a way out and I do have support and I don't know the way out and I don't know the answers yet. And I don't know how long it's going to take to find a way through this and find some purpose in this, but there is a way. And I think so often like our job as content creators, speakers, coaches, mentors, leaders, it's not always to have all the answers, but it's just to introduce the element of choice and show the person that there are options and alternatives to the way we're living and the way we perceive the world. I love that, man. It's so true. You got to take little tidbits from everywhere, implement them into your own life and create your own, your own character, your own new character of yourself sort of right. thing to help yourself grow at the end of the day is what I'm hearing there, man. And I love that, mm -hmm. man. You had to dig deep. You had to take from every angle and implement what you thought would work for you. Cause not me, myself in recovery too. It's not going to, what I do for my recovery isn't going to work for someone else. It, everyone's path to recovery is different and that's okay, man. It's like an ebbs and flows, like a roller coaster. It's not all peaches and roses if that's what people yeah. are thinking. It definitely isn't, man. Yeah, I so, always tell people that addiction is an interesting thing because people are very quick to judge or condemn someone that has, oh, they're addicted to, let's say, heroin. And people will go, oh, that's an illegal drug and that's bad. That's what people will say or that's what you're taught growing up. Oh, don't do drugs, kids. But I always, I tell people, I'm like, although I never had a diagnosis of addiction, I never had, or I never had, had to, had a doctor say, hey, you're addicted. 
I had what I call micro addictions, like the things like porn and like drinking like this, because to me, a micro addiction is something that no one else can see how it's pulling you away from the life that you want, but you know, in your heart, it's stopping you. And so those are very subtle and they're very, I'm trying to think of the right word. There's something about them that we go, no one's going to know, but every day when we engage in that. And again, for me, it was alcohol and porn were two primary ways to pull out from the situation or to run from the challenge of growing. Like, cause the, no one tells it, like everyone says, yeah, grow, work for it, but they don't tell you about the adversity and the constant challenge. And if you want a life of growth, you're choosing to face up to it daily to some extent. And so for me, it was saying, what are the things that, what's keeping me from the great relationship? You know, as you go watch porn, you're like, do your thing. And you're like, well, I don't need to go out. To, I don't need to meet people. It's like you drink so you don't get up and go try that new event or go to that new class. It's, I found these things that everyone to some degree, because for years I worked as a habit change coach. It's like we all have addictions and vices. Some are just more societally acceptable than others. So I think it's huge that to not just acknowledge that, but it also lets you recognize the humanity in everyone and say, hey, listen, it's not that it's not about one being worse than the other. It's like we all have our thing. So how can we collectively come together, understand it better, and then offer those resources so people can find their way, like you said, because the way you do it, the way I do it, the way someone else does it, it doesn't need to be the same, but we do need to find the ways to break through it so that we can either you know, serve our purpose, live the way we want to, make the relationships, or I would say all of those things. Yeah, and it's all about finding your purpose. It took me many years to find mine. But it takes people long, some longer than others, and that's okay too. At the end of the day, I found my niche and I'm in sales and I love it. I love mm -hmm. chatting with people. I love talking with people, getting to learn more about others, learn what makes them tick. I'm just hearing stories. That's why I love sales because you get stories out of people that way too. And you build these friendships and relationships with others, mm -hmm. treat them properly. They'll keep coming back. Yes. Yeah. If you recognize that so many people think it's about a skill set, but I'm like, in the work that I do now, if you don't recognize that everything that you do engages with people to some degree. So if you can get really good at crafting and cultivating relationships, no matter what field you're in, you will be able to find success because even if you're the best in the world at X activity, if you're terrible to work with, you're going to lose opportunities. There's a level where your skill is so good that people will put up with you being obnoxious or being rude because they're like, oh, this person's just so good at what they do. But how much are you missing because of that like interpersonal miss? So for me, I, that's what I help people do now is craft stories and speak and present. And so for me, it's, I haven't met a person yet that doesn't have an incredibly valuable and beautiful story to tell. Often they don't see it though. So I help them see the value in that story and then craft it. That's amazing, man. Storytelling is huge. Cause like I've said at the beginning, I believe everyone's story is valuable. You just got to find that vulnerability in you, that deep inner strength to pull that story out of you that you may not want to share with others. I feel it's so important because everyone's story can help someone, whether it's one person or two or five people or 10 million people. Let's break right into your video that sort of got the ball rolling for you, man. It has over 20 million views on Facebook. Mm -hmm. I do believe it is. Correct me if I'm wrong, but. What's that video all about? What's the title of it? It's amazing how life can bring back things that you thought were just a single event. And then there's these full circle moments because the video is called The First Time I Saw My Dad Cry. 
And it was featured on Goalcast. And the way that speech came to be, my mentor, Sean, who I mentioned earlier, said that there's some magic that happens that you just can't really predict. But I also love the quote, luck is, what, luck is when preparation meets opportunity. Because there's certain things that we can prepare for and we can design and we can work hard to make happen. And then there's other things you just can't predict. But it's the fact that you're on the journey that you meet the person, you make the connection. And I started that job where I was traveling. And in 2015, I launched my first business. It was called Overcoming Graduation. And I was, again, teaching young adults everything I wished I'd known. I launched a podcast. I launched a book. And I said, okay. And then I started coaching. And I got my first coaching client, who's just one of my good friends, who saw me applying the lessons in personal development and getting results. And he was like, I want to do what you're doing. Just coach me. And I think that's a big one. I've heard Dean Graziosi say, we need examples more than we need advice. And often you'll hear like nowadays when I'm talking with people, especially parents go, how do I inspire my kids? How do I motivate them? I'll talk with students and faculty. I'll talk with leaders and organizations. Be the example. If you want them to embody those characteristics, the best thing you can do is be that person. And so I took that as a challenge where I said, I need to be the person that I'm trying to inspire people to be. Because it's like saying, hey, you should get in the gym, Chris. It's like, Brian, are you going to the gym? It's like, no, but you should. That's what I, it's just totally incongruent. And so I went Very on this hypocritical. Moment, yeah, yeah. It's just <laughs> and judgmental. And it's like, dude, but Brian, you're literally eating Cheetos right now. It's like, yeah, but you should go, man. It's like licking the dust off. And it's so easy. That's a real, and that's an interesting thing too. The times when I'm most judgmental, when I find myself like looking and pointing fingers at other people, is generally when I'm fighting the hardest to avoid something that I know I need to deal with. It's really interesting where yeah, yeah, if I went to the gym and I'm like, oh, that person's form is off. And I'm like, Brian, you haven't been to the gym for three months or something. Yeah, so what do, why are you pointing this at somebody else? What are you running from? And I think it's a great lens to have. But I went on this journey where I'm working a full-time job. I'm traveling all over the world. I went to 13 different countries over the space of three and a half years. I got to live in Brazil for a time. That was all through my day job. So I was living my dream of getting paid to travel and running a coaching business and a podcast on the side. And I always tell people, don't be afraid to get started with what you have. It's not about it being perfect. It's about just getting moving. Momentum and growth are two of the most important things for human beings in life. Because if you're not growing and you're not creating momentum in a direction you want to be moving, that's where you feel stagnant and stuck. And so I tell people literally my first podcast I recorded, I had my iPod touch, which I know is now a throwback. It's like my iPod touch. I had my cell phone and I called Charlie, the guy who was a high school Spanish teacher that became a UFC fighter. And I was holding them like this. And I had the voice notes app here and the phone here. And I was trying to get it close enough where the, I thought the sound would be good. That was my first ever recorded episode. It was not all the technology. And that's basically how I built my whole company because over the years, I eventually evolved into, I said, everything that I'm helping people do comes down to habits at some point because it's not about the big Herculean effort one day a month. It's what you do day to day. So if I can help people effectively set goals and then form the habits they need to create them, like that, then they can do that the rest of their lives. And so I did that for several years because that was where my coaching focused and I was continuing to build. I ultimately moved to Southern California, got a new job. I wanted to live in Orange County, and that's where I'm at now. And I get there. But along this journey and along this way, I had done something that I think is so critical for people that want to get results, but also get results faster and in a way they never thought before. Was I'd been introduced to Sean in 2012, and then 
in 2014, I booked a ticket for my first ever Sean event and it was $1,000 for the ticket. It was a crazy amount for me at the time. I went straight after that work trip when I was in Hong Kong. So I came straight, I was on a 15 hour time difference and I was going into this two and a half day event. Met Sean for the first time. I was freaking out. I gave him a hug. Like, and that was just a couple months after my mom had passed. And so I come out of that event and there's a video of me doing a testimonial where I say, this is the first time I've been happy since my mom died. And I went, this is what I'm meant to do. It's so critical to find mentors. And I've also heard the quote, find people who have gotten the results you want and continue to get them. It wasn't a flash in the pan. It wasn't one time. It's that they did it, they've done it, they keep doing it, and they can help others do it. And Sean was all of that and more. So I dove in heavy. I went to every one of Sean's events for the next couple of years, up in 2017, decided to join his high, highest level coaching program, which was terrifying. It was the single biggest investment I made outside my college education. And, and I didn't have all the money to do it. I was putting it on credit cards. I was like, I'm going to find a way. And there's a Tony Robbins quote I love. It's never a lack of resources. It's always a lack of res resourcefulness. And so I was like, I got to get resourceful and find a way. So during all of this time, I'd moved to California. I'm going to these events. I spend this year-long program with Sean. And so this untouchable hero of mine, who I literally had on a vision board back in like 2013, like meet Sean Stevenson, is now my, my biggest mentor outside of my family and becoming one of my best friends. And ultimately, at the end of that year-long program in 2018, there's a speaker challenge and whoever wins that challenge, if Sean says you're ready, gets to speak on his stage at his annual event. And so I was the youngest guy in the program and Sean always says, don't pad the fall. So often we say, oh, if I'd only rehearsed harder or, oh, if I, I'd gotten better sleep, we make excuses because we're afraid. We're so much more afraid of playing full out and failing than we are of putting an excuse in the way. And it was the first time for this work that I just said, I'm going full out. I'd rather fail spectacularly than comfortably not. Like I, like, I, I don't want to say I didn't play full out. And so I get to the contest. I won the contest. And for the first time ever, because I'd been to all Sean's events, the event starts the next day after the contest. Sean goes, you're going on right after me first. Like most of the time- There's some big shoes to fill. Yeah, yeah. And he's bringing all these like world-class speakers and Hall of Fame speakers. Like those are the people at the event. And I'm like, I'm about to go up first after my hero. And so I go up, I give the best speech I've ever given. I get a standing ovation. And I, it was so far, but it was like one of those moments where I said, I played full out and this is what happens. It's like God in the universe saying, this is where you're meant to be. But then two days later at that event, the founders of Goalcast were there and I got to thank them because I'd been consuming their content for years. They'd helped me through so much. And one of them, Salim said, hey, Brian, so why are you here? I said, oh, I spoke. He goes, I'd love to see your video. Fast forward two months, it's going live on Goalcast. And the thing is, I didn't know till later, normally people had to pay like twenty, twenty-five thousand dollars to get featured, like when companies would approach Goldcast. But Salim saw it, he liked the message and he, like he loved what he saw so much that he just went for it. And all this magic happens. It had over 10 million views in the first week. And up prior to that, my best performing video was over a thousand. I was thrilled about that. And so that was the impetus for what I do now. Now I've spoken across the country. I've spoken to audiences around the world virtually, and I'm a speaker and presentation coach. So I speak and then I coach people on how to find their message, overcome fear of speaking, how to craft their message, and how to deliver it confidently. Because I've found 
I tell my clients, I'm always playing a deeper game. And if I can help you value your story or maybe reframe a story that you thought was just terrible and show you the value and the lesson in it, then you can reframe and redefine your life and your identity, which is what we talked about earlier, how critical that identity is. And ultimately in April of this year in 2022, I left my corporate job and now I'm doing it full-time for the first time ever. So I'm full-time into entrepreneurship, which has been the dream since I started. And that whole journey sure did not go as I planned either, but it rarely does. <laughs> it never does. You know what I mean? I want to eventually be full-time with what I'm doing and stuff like that. It, it's going to take time. And I know that like my wife always tells me, Chris, it's not going to happen overnight. Like she has, she's an entrepreneur herself. She worked a job too, while building her photography business before she mm -hmm. went full-time. She worked, was still working for five, six years, I do believe, before she went full-time. She had the clientele before she even got a studio. Her first studio didn't come till after eight years in business. She was working out of her house, yeah. out of her apartment and those types of things. But it's, it's come full circle now. Now I set a goal last year and it just worked out perfect. When my wife got her new studio, there was a spot for Chris's podcast studio. It's just the beginning. Yes. But, and those types of things. I love how you, you just got to dig down deep, man. I love that about you. Your energy is amazing. I can feel it <laughs> through the screen and stuff like that. How can someone want to reshape their story, build their conf confidence? What's like a couple good pieces of advice you can give someone that's looking to build that confidence for themselves to share that story of theirs that may not have that confidence? So reshaping their story, that's a great question. Reshaping their story. And I always, I love when I get questions that I either haven't gotten before or never framed that way. So how can someone reshape their confidence and redefine their story? So there's a concept that I love called reframing. And essentially that's a huge part of what I do. And I appreciate you saying the thing about the energy. And so one thing I'll add is, we're, especially if you're someone that really works hard and wants to do big things, we're generally our big, our worst critics. We will constantly like downplay or minimize the things we do. And in some degree, it's about humility. We're going like, I don't want to be cocky. I don't want to be egotistical. I don't want to get lost in that. But at some point we get to this area where we're not celebrating anything we do. And so I think the first thing is pay attention to what people say you're good at and what they love about you because especially my early days, like I was used to being the young guy. I was joining these programs. I was the youngest guy. I was going to the events. I was the youngest guy. Like I was doing these things at a time when most people aren't spending thousands of dollars and all their vacation time on personal development. And so I would say pay attention because what you just said, it wasn't until this year that I've had some of my biggest clients and people that I thought when I was younger, I was going to need credentials. I was going to need certifications. I was going to need letters after my name. That's how you get credibility. But what I found more and more is because I've cultivated the skill set in the way that I have, and I have this unique and weird kind of background and all these disparate experiences that I find a way to connect, that people go, Brian, it's your energy more than anything else that draw, makes me want to work with you. Because they feel my genuine passion and they feel my excitement and they feel my genuine desire to help them with their story. Because I was like, listen, I spent 10 years in a supply chain career doing, there was one job that was good. Like the traveling one was really great for a lot of things. The other two really were not. And especially the one that I ultimately left because that was, it got worse and worse. 
to the point where, again, I thought, oh, I'll build up my business. I'll get it up to a few thousand bucks a month and then I'll just gracefully step out and it'll be super smooth. No, it was the pandemic, working supply chain. Team of five went down to two. We were doing three people's worth of work each, but it wasn't enough. Then I got placed on a, a PIP, a performance improvement plan. So they said, you've got 30 days to improve or you're gone. And I said, you know what? I'm tired of letting my fate be in somebody else's hand. So I I'm hear out. you, man. <laughs> yeah. But, it, but the thing is, Sean always said to us, and Sean passed away in 2019. So there's much, much more to that story. But fortunately, we don't have time. But he said, sometimes your intuition, when it talks to you, first it whispers. Then it taps you on the shoulder. Then it gives you a nudge and eventually it shoves you. And the thing was, I needed a shove because I was starting to lose myself in that job. I was starting to doubt my, who I was or what I was capable of. And I needed the universe or God or whatever word is, works best for you to just shove me and go, dude, wake up. This, you know what you want to do. You finally found the thing you want to do. Stop waiting. Stop hiding. And I got so comfortable just with the paycheck. I got so comfortable being uncomfortable that I didn't realize how much I was leaving on the table. So when it comes to reframing the story and redefining, I think one, it's about taking an honest look about where you're at. So often we just get so busy executing the day to day. We never think about where we want to go and what we want to do. Number two is start doing controlled experiments. And what I mean by that is most people are not in the career we, they want. We just know that from statistics. They're not doing the thing that really lights them up and is their passion. So how can you do small controlled experiments with instead of, oh, I got to go back to school and get an MBA and I've got to invest tens of thousands of dollars and I've got to do these huge shifts and move somewhere else. How can you do experiments? How can you do tests? How can you reach out to people that are in that field to learn about it? And if you want to try something, learn something new, what is that thing that you want to do? Because I, for years, I wanted to learn salsa dancing and I just never went and took a, le a lesson. And then ultimately I finally got out of my own way, went and it became one of my favorite things. And I actually helped teach Cuban salsa for a while. I, it's one of my favorite things now is dancing and Latin dance. And for people that are looking to reframe their story, comes down to, if you look at the hero's journey and you look at any type of story, you may be at your lowest point right now, but that's always where the hero makes a decision to do something differently. And so instead of this being your worst moment and your permanent identity, this may be the moment in the hero's journey when they make a decision to do something different. So when it comes to reframing, it's about one honest expression. like. Where am I at? Am I happy? Am I doing what I want to be doing? And am I living up to my potential? Because I think that's far more insidious than many other things is because someone could be like, hey, Chris, you're crushing it, bro. You're doing great. You're doing this. You're at about 50%. And I knew that in my core, I could get by doing very little, but that wasn't benefiting me and growing and pushing into this world that I wanted to be in. So if we start with that honest look at ourselves. And are we performing the way we want to? And then we start to get really analytical about what are the things holding me back? What do I need to trim and cut? And then also, so that's the piece of what do I want to get out or avoid? But then where do you want to go? And you might go, well, I don't know yet. That's the time where it's time to experiment and try and go to the new event, buy the ticket, because you can't ever know everything. That's part of life. And when you go into something like entrepreneurship or you go to a new career path, you're introducing so much more uncertainty, but one of the best things you can do is get very comfortable with uncertainty because growth is, it's implicit in that. 
And then also my dad says, one of the greatest compliments you can give someone is that they are eternally curious. So if you can get comfortable with uncertainty by constant exposure to it, and then be eternally curious, I think those are the two of the most powerful ways to start to reframe your story because curiosity will either confirm what you believe, like I've tried it, I loved it, I wanna do more of it, or it'll go, it's not what I thought. And either way, it's great information. It's like dating. If you go on a date and you're like, hey, it didn't turn out, you're not like, oh, there's no one else to date in the world. You go, okay, cool, I learned, I can grow. Now, what is it I really want? You take the next step. So it's never about having it all figured out. I hate the question, hated it in interviews. Where do you see yourself in 10 years? I was like, not in this corporate job. Where do I see myself? Someone completely different than here. And it's so, I never liked that question because I'm like, my life has shifted in so many ways, so many directions in very short periods of time. And part of the reason is because I pursue that growth. So with that, I can't predict it. I'm trying to focus on the next steps and working towards being the person. But like I talked about earlier with the habits, I realized that's a day-to-day battle. And every day it's a battle and every day there's challenges. So how do I start to create the life where the challenges I'm facing are for me, the challenges I'm facing daily are for me to make the massive impact that I believe in my heart I'm here to make versus the challenges are how do I get up out of bed because I'm so depressed working in this job that I hate and that's my big challenge. And so having that shift, there's so much more uncertainty. There's so many challenges as a full-time entrepreneur, but I find myself going, there's some things that have happened very recently. I have the biggest speech of my career in two weeks, or actually next week. I'm like, these never would have happened had I not dove into that uncertainty. And one of the promises I made when my mom passed, one of the promises I made when Sean passed, I told his wife, I was at Sean's memorial service. It's, we're gonna carry on these lessons. We're gonna carry on these messages. And more than anything, I'm gonna carry on the love that they so selflessly shared because I have been in those rooms with students and I've been in those rooms with adults who never had somebody say, I'm proud of you and I love you. And I heard that my whole life. So I take that as part of my responsibility in my speaking, in my coaching, what I do to not just share it, but also empower others. Cause my goal is to act as a multiplier. I'm not just someone who does the stuff. I help more people share their stories and value their stories. And then they can do that. And then it just branches and expands off into the distance. I love it, man. It's all about sharing the wealth and it's, and I'm not talking money here. It's uh, that wealth and knowledge that you've been passed down to you through your mentor, Sean, your mother, and so on and so forth, just spreading that wealth to others. And it comes back full circle to you, you and you won't even know it one day. You know, it's yes. just going to come back full circle. And you're going to be like, man, you left your legacy on this earth when you, and let's like, I heard a little spot in there about connection and something rang true to me. Like the opposite of addiction is connection as well. You know yes. what I mean? Me as an addict, I need that connection. It was always mm-hmm. about that connection, but I find that connection so many different ways now, giving back to the homeless, feeding the homeless once a week. I just thoroughly enjoy volunteering now, just giving back what was so freely given to me you know, because I can relate to these people's stories and stuff like that and just listening to their stories and you know, just giving that heart, that shoulder to cry on, whatever they need, that shoulder to lean on. And they're so grateful for it. They may not have much, but they're grateful for you just sitting there and listening to them rant, vent, whatever it is they need to get out because they don't have people like you and I do to talk to every day on a, on a yes. day-to-day basis. So that means a lot to those people, man, less fortunate and stuff. And that's why I do what I do. It's so important because you what that does is it reminds you of what are our greatest gifts to give because... We, it's so easy with the social media culture. It's so easy to think, oh, we need millions of dollars to make a difference or make an impact. We need to 
have a huge social media following to reach people. And I remember in the early days of my business, I was so obsessed with numbers. Like I was like, oh, I'm only getting 50 downloads a podcast. I'm only getting 70 downloads a podcast. And I always tell people, I'm like, if you had 50 people in a room that were listening to you and were benefiting from your message and you were there with them, would that be not enough? And they were like, no, that'd be incredible. I'm like, those are 50 people. Like we see them as numbers on a screen, but those are 50 people. And you taking the time to put that message out there means that they have a chance to benefit and feel seen and not feel alone when you have that conversation. And what you're doing with people when you're volunteering with the homeless is you're taking time to not just give of yourself, but I will tell you the most depressed and the darkest times in my life and the times when I dissolve into addiction the most are when I'm most focused on myself. It's where it's all about me. And I think there's a dangerous thing in the personal development world right now where self-care is a great thing, but where self-care starts to dissolve into self-indulgence and it becomes a self-obsession where it's, oh, I need to do journaling and a bubble bath and drink a matcha green tea and then meditate and do all this stuff to be able to, it's like my dad always said growing up, he goes, if you have problems and you're really struggling with something, find someone to help and your problems will disappear. And for me, the greatest purpose, the greatest conviction, the greatest drive comes when I am connected to other people. Like the book that I wrote when I was living in Wisconsin, <laughs> one of my, again, like we talked about in pre-show about better questions lead to better answers. It's, which it sounds self-explanatory, but when I was living in Optum, Wisconsin, part of me said, this will never be fun. Like how could Wisconsin ever be fun? This is a small town. It's so boring. All everyone, anyone does is drink. Then I went, again, it's not just the words of the question, it's the way you ask it. And I went, well, how could I make Wisconsin fun? And I've found things. I went and tried new things. I went and signed up for stuff. And one of those things was My Team Triumph. And My Team Triumph helps individuals with disabilities participate in endurance events. And we use specialty running strollers to push three people through everything from a one mile fun run to a full Ironman. And I'd never really done endurance running. I said, this is amazing. This combines, like I had worked with people with special needs earlier in my life. And I said, I'd always wanted to do it more. And I'd never signed up. And I was like, I hadn't found a way to do it. I was like, this is perfect. It combines helping people and physical fitness. And it was one of the greatest things I ever did because you saw people, society tells them things about what they can and can't do. And they tell them about what they can and can't communicate. But some of the greatest experiences in my life were just connecting with people in my team triumph and seeing somebody who is nonverbal, but being able to feel what they mean. They may not be able to vocalize in the same way or communicate the same way, but human communication, you don't need words. And some of the best hugs, some of the warmest experiences you'll have is it was just time. And they literally say we give, so they call the individual who's being supported a captain. And the people that are pushing the chair are the angels. The angels give the captain's dreams wings. And we're just, get, we're giving our body, we're lending our legs and our arms to help them run the race and do something that they thought they couldn't do or that they were told they couldn't do. And there are so many times in life where we just think we can't get started or we think there's no way, but it's that Tony quote again, it's never lack of resources, lack of resourcefulness. Because one year, Christmas had become like the, darkest time of the year when it used to be my favorite after my mom died. Because my mom and I, we used to decorate the house together. Like my mom and I love, like my whole family did, but my mom and I did a lot more of the decorating. 
And so now one of my favorite times of year was one of the darkest. And one year I said, I want to make this, I want to turn this around. I want to find a new way to celebrate it. And so I just posted a GoFundMe because I wanted to raise money to get toys for kids in hospitals at Christmas. I'm like, I never had to spend Christmas in the hospital. I always had these great Christmases. So how can we bring some Christmas magic to the kids? And in three weeks, we raised over three grand and I got to deliver toys to these two hospitals in North Carolina. There's always ways to give back. And because at first my brain, I don't have the money to donate. I can't do this. And I said, well, can I find donations? And so in all of these things, when you find ways to give back and help, it doesn't just remind you of the value you have as the person you are because your addictions want to convince you you're not worthy and you need to spend time with them. Like your addictions are like a jealous boyfriend or girlfriend. They're like, no, you need to spend time with me. No, nobody's, they're not going to love you the way I love you. They're not going to make you feel good. And we know it's this empty, hollow thing, but we get so afraid. And when we get so focused on ourselves, we lose sight of all the ability we have to help. Because sometimes, you know, we can give advice and we can guide and we can coach and we can mentor sometimes the best thing we can do is just give a hug and say, hey, I love you. I don't know you, but I love you. And you know, you're not alone and it's okay. And there is hope. Because when you see people that, when a person loses hope, that's when things get really dark and when they don't think there's an option and a choice. And that's part of what we do in the work that we do is we're saying there is a choice. There is an option. There is a way. I can't tell you, I have all the, I can't tell you exactly what that way is for you. But I can tell you, you can find a way and here's some things to try. And that's where we, I think we really make a difference. We recognize our greatest value is not in our, our credentials, our certifications and our acquired knowledge in a specific field. It's in who we are as, person and see, as a person, seeing people for them and meeting them where they're at and being able to just support. I love it, man. It's all about being that comes back to connection and just supporting one another, showing empathy, having mm -hmm. a heart, opening your ears and listening actively to what's going on in that world and just being able to put yourself in that person's shoes at the end of the day, man. I truly mm -hmm. appreciate you coming on the show today to just share your knowledge, your wealth and your knowledge with my audience here today, man. Truly appreciate that. Before we go though, where can everyone find you, Brian? And where can they find that book of yours if they'd like to buy it, if it's still around? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The book's called The First Step. It's up on Amazon. And uh, that was part of my earlier business because now in my speaking coaching, I'm yeah, more focused there. But that, if you search the first step, Brian Drury, you will find it. And that book's available and 10% of every book I sell goes to my team Triumph. Like when I launched it, I didn't want the book to be about money and I didn't want to write it about money. So I donated everything I made for the first three months to my team Triumph. And I still look for ways to donate and give back. That's one of those groups that I was with where I saw the donations literally. You see exactly where the donations go and you see the new custom wheelchair and you see the person lighting up. I'm like, it's just one of the best organizations I've been involved with. That's available on Amazon. Get it all over the world. I've just gone through a rebrand this year and I'm building my new sites. Right now, I'm going to give, right, this goes against some of my typical advice is to give one direction to go, but I will give both because I'm literally building the second one right now. So right now, if you go to guidetospeaking.com and you can write it with a two or a T-O in the middle, both go to the same spot. But so it's guide number two speaking.com. This is where people can find out about my speaker coaching, my training to book me for events, because right now I'm building a new website and that'll be thebriandrury.com. And because it's just from a branding perspective, this is what my mentors are guiding me to. Guide to speaking.com for the next maybe week. And then 
everything will be moving over to the Ryan because that's also my new social handle. So I have the Brian across the others. That's why I picked that for uh, so at the Brian Drury on Instagram, on Twitter, YouTube, all those places. Thank you very much again, man. If there's one thing I could take away from today's show, it's about resilience and connection, man. So thank <laughs> you again for coming on the show. I truly appreciate you taking the time out of your day to do. You're very welcome. And thanks for having me on. And thanks for making this spot for people to find that connection.